beautiful music. No, that's Claude's favorite. It's a privilege to be able to come together and sing the praises of God together. I don't want to stay here. Message this morning is again a story that you probably know. Uh, I meant to change the scripture on the PowerPoint and apparently did not. It's Exodus 14. It is the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, I titled it Coming Out, although like every preacher that has ever preached on chapter 14 of the book of Exodus, I had to resist the temptation of titling it Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. Um, just had to overcome my, overcome my desire to take the cheap, cheap joke, uh, but apparently I didn't overcome it that well because I just took it right now. So. <laughs> Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel have, after spending hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt have now marched out. You know, God had taken them through ten plagues. He brought ten plagues, ten signs and wonders to the Israelites and plagues to the Egyptians and had used that to show his dominance over their gods. Finally, in the tenth plague, he had told each of the Israelites to take a lamb, to burn it whole, to eat it in their house, to put their blood on the sides and the top of the door. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. We saw that last week. And of course, maybe you still have that powerful image in your mind of blood on either side and then one in the middle of the cross. You know, you see that powerful image that the blood of Jesus is what brings us forgiveness. Now, the Israelites, then, every firstborn in every home in Egypt died that was not marked by the blood. And so the Israelites were free. Pharaoh says, go. But there's a funny thing about Pharaoh. Not a very funny thing at all. There's a funny thing about sin. Sin says you can go until you start to leave. We talked about this a little bit last week also. But how many times has somebody said, well, I can quit whenever I want? Pharaoh tells the Israelites you can go. But once they start to leave... He changes his mind. God is leading the children of Israel out. He has taken them out of the land of Egypt. It is not enough for them to be free in the land of Egypt. They need to go to their place. I heard one commentator um, was asked about the relationship between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And he said, I want you to imagine an Israelite on the day after the Passover or the day after the crossing of the Red Sea, what would they say? They would say, well, I once was in slavery and condemned to death, but the blood of the Lamb was shed for me. And so I was led by my God and my mediator out, and I'm on my way to a home that he has prepared for me, but I'm not there yet. But everywhere I go, my mediator is with me, and he will be with me all the way home. Now, what an Israelite would say on the day after the crossing of the Red Sea is not any different than what you or I say every day. You know, the blood of the Lamb has been shed for me. I've got someone who is on my side. God has prepared a home for me. I'm not there yet, but I am on my way. Brother Moon likes, Brother Moon likes to say, I'm bound for the kingdom. <laughs> See, I'm on my way through the wilderness, through the place. One of my favorite songs uh, is uh, Won't It Be Wonderful There? When with the Savior we enter the glory land. Won't it be wonderful there? We can see our lives. First Corinthians said that all these things happen for our example. 
that we would see the example of those who would afterward believe. So the story of the crossing of the Red Sea is one that is easy for us to check out of. It's like a joke you've already heard. You know, you start to hear it, you just, your mind goes somewhere else. But there's so much richness here for people who have been set free and now need to be set apart. For people who have been, had their sins paid for, had their slavery ended, but still need to leave. You know, it's a funny thing about slavery. We are freed from sin the day that we're saved. We're free from the law, oh, happy condition. But do you know, in some sense, even though we have been objectively freed from the wrath of God, we are still in sight. How many of you have noticed when I try to do good, evil is present with me? Notice that the good that I would do, that I do not do. The evil that I would not do, that I do. We, even though God has said sin is no longer your master, objectively, subjectively, we still feel in slavery sin. In fact, there's layers of this. There are some people who know that something is not a sin, but they feel they've got a guilty conscience about it. You know, they just uh, they've been conditioned to be a, you know to be afraid, and they're enslaved to the law, even though they've been freed from the law. Of course, uh, the New Testament says that Jesus, through his death, destroyed the one that had the power of death, that is the devil, to free those who, through fear of death, have been slaves all their lives. If you're afraid of death, even though Jesus has set you free, you're still a slave. So it's not enough. To get us out of Egypt, we have to get Egypt out of us. You can take somebody out of slavery, but you have to take the slave out of them. And that's really what the crossing of the Red Sea does. The Israelites are already free. God has already said, you are my people, you are my son, today I have begotten you. But until they're out of the land, they're in constant peril, they're in constant fear. They don't experience the blessings that they have. Some of you are Christians, and yet you do not enjoy any of the blessings of being a Christian. Some of you, if you died right now, you would go to heaven, but you don't live with any of the joy or the promises that you have in Christ. Some of us live as slaves, even though we've been free. Think about the Emancipation Proclamation, given on my birthday at the plus for it. It also freed the slaves. There are a couple good things about it. Um, from the time that Abraham Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation, the executive order, the slaves were legally free. But they didn't know that they were free. So I want you to imagine this process. You're legally free, but you don't experience it. Then somebody finally comes to town. I guess it wasn't on my birthday. I guess it, the word got to Galveston on my birthday. So Finally, word gets to town that you are free. And so now you, you get to start to experience it. But how long do you think it would take for the habits of your mind and everything else to really let you feel free? The day that you placed your trust in Jesus, God said, you're free. Here is your emancipation proclamation. There is now there, now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh. You're free. 
But it takes you a little while to realize that sin is no longer your master, that you don't have to do those things anymore, that you can leave Egypt. And that even once you have victory over those sins, you still have that plaguing shadow in your heart. God says, I want to take you out. I want to take you across. I want to take you to victory. So as we read today in Exodus chapter 14, there's so many obvious parallels. I hope that you will keep up. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp between Piharah, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before it you shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. I don't want you to lose sight of this motif. The next time you read the book of Exodus, I want you to notice where Pharaoh says, Who's the Lord that I should listen to him? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then I want you to notice over and over again God saying, So they will know there's none like me. So they will know I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. So they will know that I am the Lord. Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord. Why should I listen to him? And God says, well, let me introduce myself. And all the plagues unveil in different ways the character of God. And now, God says, I've got an eleventh plague. So I've got one more thing to do to show them that I am the Lord. He said, I want you to go to the northern part of Egypt. In fact, the part that it happened, uh, the Red Sea probably does not reach that far today. The Red Sea is about 30 miles smaller than it was in Moses' day. So it's very far north in Egypt, based on where these cities are. So I want you to go, and I want you to camp there. Trapped. You know, between the devil and the deep blue sea. Trapped with Pharaoh on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. And when Pharaoh sees that, he's going to say, oh, I've got him. And his little heart is not going to be able to resist. I'm going to send him some reinforcements. I will harden his heart. I will strengthen his heart and let him go. And this is how all the hosts of Egypt is going to learn who I am. So the first little observation here is just because you are in a difficult situation does not mean that that's not where you're supposed to be. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know, this is really hard. I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> well, not necessarily. There's an incredible thing about the way that God works. Sometimes, well, in fact, they had already had an easier way to go. And God says, no, I'm not going to send them out because they won't be ready when they see war and they'll run away. He says, I've got a different way. I've got something I need to show them before they can meet any more enemies. Take them north. God says, I've got something I need to show you. There's some difficulties you're going to have to go through, and it's going to be a character lesson for you. So that you'll be ready for all the things that I have for you. So they go and they camp. Verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we should let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. I can imagine this. A chariot in this day was a normally a two-person thing. You had the 
person who operated the horses, and you had the archers. In a severe military situation, you'd put captains on some of them to direct it. But Pharaoh, in all of his anger, says, I want 600 captains. I want my best chariots all to have officers on them. I want them to see everything. We're going to kill all of these Israelites. And Pharaoh, by putting all of his officers to chase after these runaway slaves, is putting himself in the position where God can crush all of his army. Now, I told you before, when... Jesus died on the cross. Satan unleashed everything that he had. He had Judas betray him. He had the chief priests. He had the secular authorities. He launched death on Jesus. But when death fell down on Jesus, Adrian Rogers told a story about a, a little boy who was stung by a bumblebee. And his sister started screaming because she saw the bumblebee flying around. And the mom took the sister's hand and said, here, come on, I want you to see something. I want you to look at your brother. You see what you see this mark right here? That's the stinger. That bee can't sting you because he's used up his sting in your big brother. Death cannot sting you because the firstborn son of God has taken the sting of death. All the chariots and all the horsemen of Egypt go and march, and because all the intensity is there, all the intensity can be destroyed. Because all the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, there is no wrath left for those who are in Christ Jesus. So they go and they march. And they say, they, they chase them down. 600 chosen chariots with captains, 1,800 of those, plus all the rest of his army. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. With a high hand, uh, that's a Hebrewism, a Semitism for uh, defiantly. You know, I'm not hiding it. Sometimes people will, you know, try to kind of sneak something. We say somebody does something under the table. The Israelites did not sneak out under the table. They said, look at me, I'm going out with a high hand. We talk about high-handed sin. High-handed sin is when you know what you should do, and you don't care. You do it anyway. It's defiant. Now, they're not sitting here, of course. They are going out defiantly. They're saying, Pharaoh, we do not belong to you anymore. You know, when you become a Christian, you don't have to kind of like sneak out around <clears throat> sin. Duh. You go out with a high hand. You say, you have no more mastery over me. And they go out defiantly, but they're chased. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Piharah before Baal And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out, I mean, imagine this, you know, before you judge them too harshly, you've got a bunch of slaves, no weapons, no anything, no training. What are they good at? They're good at making bricks. And now, all of the army of the most powerful nation on earth is coming at them. They've got their chariots with the 
forces and the officers standing in their armor and the archers there. They've got their foot soldiers. They've got everything coming at you. You know, can you imagine 600 chariots, the roar of the wheels and the horses coming at you? He said, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And they're terrified. You know, sin can make a pretty dramatic display. I was with, uh, talking to somebody, working with somebody who had a drug problem, and they, you know, as they tried to quit, of course, they went through severe withdrawals and things like that. But do you know what withdrawals are? It's, it's like Pharaoh's army coming marching at you. It doesn't have any control over you anymore, and it's not happy about it. But if you wait just a little bit longer, you're going to go to the other side of the sea, and the waters are going to come crashing down on it. It's not forever, but it's a big, threatening display. Satan is a serpent who has had his head crushed, but his body still squiggles around. <laughs> we can be afraid only when we lose sight of the big picture. Can the Israelites really believe that the Egyptians, whom God had crushed one of them in every one of their homes, the one who had turned the Nile River to blood, the one who had brought darkness down, can they really believe that those Egyptians that were crushed by God then are really going to defeat them now? Say, well, it does seem kind of silly when you put it like that. Let me put it to you like this. Do you believe that the one who made darkness over the face of the land when his son died on the cross, the one who used the most powerful armies of any time in history, to come and make themselves his enemy, the one who took the religious leaders and everyone and brought them together in one place and conquered them by breaking the power of death itself. Do you believe that that God is going to lose to your enemies now? If when they got there on the first day of the week, the tomb was empty, do you really believe that sin has any mastery over you? You say, well, you know, I've got to. There's this thing, and I just got to do it. I know that it's not right. Let me tell you, if you can say, I know that I ought to, you have just demonstrated to me that you don't know anything. If you understood for a second the cost of your sin, then you wouldn't be able to say, well, you know, I know that I really ought not to do this, but I just kind of... If you understood what it cost Jesus, <laughs> there's no way that you could have that attitude. We've got very short memories, don't we? Just like the Israelites. Can you imagine somebody saying, well, you know, I know that Jesus is the Son of God, and I know that he's completely innocent, and I know that I'm taking this reed and beating the crown of thorns into his head, but, you know, everybody does it. How different is that than you saying, well, you know, I know that I shouldn't be dishonest in this way. I know that it is the cause of Jesus' suffering, but everybody does it. I know that I ought to come to church tonight. You know, nobody's going to be here. Everybody does it. I know that I ought to tithe, but you know, I really have got to make my money stretch, and I, everybody does it. I know that, you know, I shouldn't give in to substance abuse or drunkenness or whatever, but everybody does it. I know that 
Sex outside of marriage is uh, not just a sin, but blasphemy, because it says something false about Jesus' relationship with this church. But everybody does it. I know, I know, I know. Well, let me tell you, if you say that, you don't know. You don't know about the great sacrifice that Jesus made. You don't know about the one who says, you're free. Are any of those things more powerful over you than death? And if Jesus conquered death on the very first resurrection morning, why do you let those things be master over you? Why are you still living in Egypt? Can you imagine being free and then saying, you know what, I'm so glad I'm not a slave. Can I please make some more bricks? Never live like that. So why do we live like that? If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. If, if you're free, why don't you live like it? Why don't we live like it? Why don't we say, Lord, I'm going to follow you? These things don't have any power. We're going to keep going. They cried out to God, and they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us out forth of Egypt? They say, Look, Moses, do you think there's not any graves in Egypt? So we've got to die over here? If you need some graves in Egypt, we can show you some big ones called the pyramids. We can die over there. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Now, here's another thing that's going to happen to you when you start to leave sin. God has got something better for you than you've ever experienced before. But you're going to turn back and say, Well, you know, look at all this stuff that I'm leaving behind. Like Lot's wife that says, You know, I know my house is on fire, but I do want one more look. Like the Israelites saying, well, I'd rather be a slave and secure than be free and have to trust God. Can you imagine? They say, you know, we'd be better off. This is what we told you, Moses. We'd be better off if we were slaves. Now, did they say that? No, that's not what they said. <laughs> they saw the miracles and it said they believed God and they followed Moses out. But now they said, well, I always knew this wasn't going to work. You know, I know that they were Jews, but they apparently were also Baptists. You know, I knew this wasn't going to work the whole time. <laughs> he says, we are going to die here, and it would have been better for us to die with a little bit of comfort as slaves than to die free. I just, I don't even feel like I need to explain that. You get that, don't you? Why is it that you want to hold on to something that you know is worse? Well, you can be free. You know, you can say, everybody does it, or everybody does it, or everybody, whatever. And I don't know what's going to happen if I make things right. You know, maybe I will have some withdrawals. Or, you know, I, just, I don't have enough money to get married. You say, you know, I don't have enough money to, to tithe. I don't have enough. And ultimately the question is this. Do you trust God or not? You say, well, kind of. 
<laughs> Would you rather be a slave in Egypt and know you're going to get a pot of meat at night? Or would you rather say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I believe that you've got something better. The Israelites turn their eyes back at darkness and shadows and ignore the blessings that God has for them. They say, oh, there's so many wonderful things. But you know, a bird in the hand or two in the book. Well, what if it's not like that at all? What if you've got a rotten bird in your hand and a feast in the bush that God has already prepared for you? Then let's get out of Egypt. Let's go out of Egypt. So, he says in verse 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. He says, here's your battle strategy, Israelites. Sit down and shut up. God is fighting this battle. This is not your battle. So there's the real punchline. All those things you said, you know, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I can't, or it's too much for me. And the answer is exactly right. But the one who died to free you from the penalty of sin lives to free you from the power of sin. See, Jesus says right now, I will set you free. Death doesn't have any more power over you. You get so scared with all this snorting and with this buzzing around, but there's no stinger. Pharaoh has no power. He's about to be crushed in the sea. Sorry to spoil the ending for you. There they are, trapped. And Moses says, don't worry, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you and you'll be quiet. Now, if you ever read the book of Numbers or the rest of the book of Exodus, you know the Israelites would have turned out a lot better if they remembered that last part, you shall hold your peace. But they're a lot like us. They've got to have their word. Uh, say, technically, parliamentary procedure says that you can only address an issue in a business meeting twice. Each person is only allowed to talk about it twice. And you're only allowed to talk about your position if somebody has disagreed with you in between. So you can't have five people line up and all say the same thing and have the same person come up ten times. I want you to imagine trying that. Okay? We all want to be heard, don't we? Even if we don't have anything to say, we want to be heard. We want to say our plan. We want to sit around and talk about it and say, well, you know, you know, it's tough. But what if we said, you know what? This is what God says, and now I'm going to be quiet. That's not what we do. We say, this is what God says, but. This is what God says, and you know. <laughs> but what if we said, this is what God says. Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. <laughs> she tells, you know, they tell kids to make a bubble. What if you said, make a, they, they make a bubble and they get in line, right? What if you said, okay, God, I see where you're going. I'm going to make a bubble. I'm going to follow you. <laughs> you're going to fight for me, and I'm going to hold my peace. 
That would be a new experience for a lot of us, wouldn't it? <laughs> See, it's a lot like you're, uh, you know, negotiating with your parents. Say, you know, say, I need you to do this and that and this. Well, what if I, <laughs> you try to negotiate with God. God says, okay, I need you to do this, this, and that. You say, well, you know, God, that's one plan. But I've got something I've been thinking about. Now he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. If you're going to fight your own battles, you're going to get your own outcomes. And how well has that been working out for you so far? You're the one that has Pharaoh on one side and the sea on the other. Some people end up so punch drunk from the devil, they can't think straight, and they don't think they can ever get out. What if you say, you know what, God? You take over from here. What an incredible thing that would be. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he rose. I believe he has the power. I believe the blood of the Lamb is the one that's going to lead us out. Let's go just a little bit farther. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forth. They stop to pray to see what to do next. They cry out to God. It's interesting, Moses isn't the one crying out like the Israelites are. But as the leader... Of Israel, God rebukes Moses for Israel's sin. Hold that in your mind. Stick that behind your ear. God says, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forth. Now, there's an ocean right here. There's Pharaoh right here. And God says, Moses, why are you still praying? I told you to march. I bet that there are some of you here who have got something you know you need to do in your life, and if somebody asks you about it, you say, well, you know, I'm praying. You don't need to pray about what God has already told you to do. Say, well, you know, have you talked to your neighbor about how they need to be saved? You say, well, you know, I'm praying about it. Say, well, you know, um, are you, you know, giving like you should, you know, giving God the first 10%? You say, well, you know, I'm praying about it. Say, have you gotten this sin out of your life? What do you know I'm praying about? God says, why are you praying about something I already told you to do? You know, I'm really praying about whether or not I should come to church on Wednesdays. You know, I'm just looking for a sign. We've got a sign. Look, it says 7 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Say, Lord, you know, what would you have me to do? God says, I already wrote it out. 66 books, you know. Why would I give you more when you haven't done what I already told you to do? He says, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Can you imagine God saying to you, Hey, why are you praying? I told you to go. That's not saying that praying is not an appropriate thing to do. Don't take it the wrong way. You need to pray. But once you know what you're supposed to do, there's a certain kind of praying that should actually be pronounced stalling. What do you know what to do? You don't continue to negotiate with God. You imagine Gideon. He lays out the fleece. He says, you know, make the fleece wet and all the ground around it dry. And Lord, I'll go. He comes out the next day and he says, Lord, um, you know, maybe one more. Make the fleece dry and all the ground around it wet. He knew what he was supposed to do. He just didn't want to do it. There's the question. Is that you? Or are you ready to get out of Egypt? Go just a little bit further. Verse 16. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. 
And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. They'll know that I'm the Lord when I have glory over their leaders. Stretch out your hand, and the Israelites will walk across on dry ground. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. Here, the angel of the, the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, so Jesus, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Jesus is leading them out. As Jesus leads them out, he is manifested normally by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. But now, as they are leaving Egypt, he splits. And he appears on one side as a pillar of fire for the Israelites, but then he goes behind them as a pillar of cloud for the Egyptians. We're going to see that more in a second. I want you to imagine now. Well, let's look at verse 20. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these so that the one came not near the other all night. God is there, and he makes it dark over the Egyptians and light over the Israelites. Jesus is there, and he is, as Paul will say thousands of years later, <laughs> foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews, but unto us who are being saved, the power of God. What God is to you depends on what you do with Jesus. The same sun hardens wax and softens, uh, sorry, other way around. The same sun hardens clay and softens wax. The way you react to God depends on what do you do with Jesus. You've got the people who were marked by the blood of the Lamb, and God was light to them. You've got the people who were not, and God was darkness and confusion to them. You say, you know, I read the Bible and I just don't understand it. I've got a question for you. Do you know that you've ever really trusted Jesus? Do you know that you've ever really come to him and said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me. Will you forgive me and save me? You don't have the light. That's definitely something to consider. You've got to keep going because I'm afraid that we do not have a lot of time. The pastor went way over with announcements this morning. He says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were all night they sit there and they wait. And then just before sunup, they finally leave. The wind blows, <laughs> an east wind blows, and it parts the sea. You say, okay, so it must have been a really shallow spot. Well, we'll get there in a little bit. <laughs> the wind blows, the wind blows, the wind blows, and now there's a spot that's dry ground. Chaos is what water represents throughout the Bible. Chaos will not touch them. There's no power over them. You know, when you leave Egypt, when you leave sin, you don't have to compromise and say, well, you know, I'm going to kind of ease my way out of it. God says, I'm ready for you to walk out on dry ground. Maybe so. A little bit further. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Not so much a shallow spot where the wind just kind of blew it down. <laughs> But a miraculous wind tunnel comes, splits the water, and they've got a wall of water on either side. And they walk. 
And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariot, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And they took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily. So that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. We can imagine, the Israelites have been walking across... And now God there is behind them, following them out, light to them, darkness to the Egyptians. The Egyptians, in their confusion, do start to follow. The Israelites walked across on dry land. And I can imagine some of them saying, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. Loads of fish. Some of them looking and saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But just like last week, when we talked about the two uh, Hebrew fathers, who both had the blood of the lamb on their and one of them was nervous and one of them was confident. Which one of them lost their son? Neither one. When they crossed out of the Red Sea, some of them may have had different emotions than others. But you know, it does not depend on your emotions. It depends on whether or not you are with God. You may say, well, you know, I just don't feel, I don't care how you feel. I care how you put the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb between you and the wrath of God. So they come... And they, the Egyptians say, we've got to get out of here. The Lord is fighting for Israel. We're getting stuck. The Israelites walk across on dry land, and the Egyptians get stuck in the mud in their chariots. The source of their power. I like to imagine it's because there's an extra person on all of their chariots weighing them down. You know, it's around. All of their power has got them stuck in the mud. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And Moses, and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength, for the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. All night the wind has been blowing. The Israelites walk across. The Egyptians are chasing them and about to conquer them once and for all. But then what do we say? Then came the morning. And when the morning came, at sunup, the Israelites were free. Now, I don't want to overstretch this, but I want you to imagine the forces of death and hell and Satan himself triumphing over Jesus. His army marching, saying, now the people of God are ours, because their defender is dead. And then came the morning. The sea crashed back down again. Now, you can read those last few verses yourself. So it makes point. Moses was so identified with the people of Israel that God rebuked him for Israel's sin. He said, why are you proud unto me? But God was so identified with Moses that when Moses stuck his hand out, God parted the sea. On one hand, he stood as, each, as Israel's representative to God. On the other hand, he stood as God's representative to Israel. Now, he was a powerful mediator. But I know a better one. I know someone who was not just fully man and close to God. This is how Tim Keller said I liked it. 
I know someone who's not just fully man and close to God. I know someone who's fully man and fully God. Jesus took our sins. And so while God may have said, why do you cry after me to Moses? Because the Israelites cried out. He says to Jesus, you endure all of my punishment for all the sins of all the people. He was so much man that he died for us. And he died, you know, Moses here serves as an example but Jesus died for the Israelites. You know, the truth is that the Israelites were not better people than the Egyptians. The difference was that the Egyptians had the power and the Israelites didn't. If you read through the rest of the Bible, you're going to find out the Israelites were pretty lousy themselves whenever they got the chance to do it. It's not because they were better. It's because they were under the blood of the Lamb. God says, I don't care about who you are, what you've done. I care about if you will place your trust in me. If you let me take you out, I'll take care of the rest. So where are you this morning? Do you have a mediator? Do you know that Jesus has died and has taken his place as the rightful king of glory to stand between you and your sin? Do you know that he took all your punishment and that now he's the one who parts the sea for you? Do you know that? Do you know if you're a Christian, that there is a time to pray and there's a time to march. That whatever kind of decisions you've been postponing in your life, whatever kind of things you shouldn't be doing that you've been dragging your feet on, whatever kind of things you shouldn't be doing that you've been holding your teeth into, do you know that God says, now is the time. Now is the time to get out of Egypt. Now is the time to be free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Let us not be entangled again from the Galatians. Do you know that today, if you will place your trust in Jesus, today, if you will say, Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I deserve your punishment, but I know you took it instead and you rose again the third day. Will you forgive me today? God will give you time. If you are a Christian and today you'll say, Lord, I'm tired of being a slave. I'm tired of not doing the things that I know I should do. I'm tired of doing the things I know I shouldn't do. Will you take me out that by his spirit he'll lead you out starting right now? If you're a slave, it's not because you have to be. If you're a slave, it's because you've chosen to be. And why would you choose slavery when Jesus offers freedom? As our musicians come forward, we're going to have a word of prayer. And then we'll stand for everything. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for this day. I thank you that you have brought us out. I thank you that you let these things happen for our example. And I ask, Father, now that if there's anyone here who needs to make a decision, make a decision to get right with you through the forgiveness of sins, the free pardon of sin through your son Jesus, or make a decision to experience that freedom, to turn aside from their sin and trust in you, that they would step out. That as we sing in a moment, that they would just walk down and come and pray. They need to speak with me, Lord, that you give me the words to say to them. And if they just need to pray, that you just give them peace as you come and meet with them here. I ask these things in Jesus' name.